Hi, everyone. Welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, the legal entity solution provider for DAOs, and I'm your host. I want to welcome our guest, Daniel Ospina. It's really awesome to have you here. Um, would you please give a brief introduction to yourself and let everyone know what makes you an authority on DAOs? Sure, thank you. Um, I mean, that an authority on DAOs, that's very generous, but I'm uh, an organization designer. That's the way I usually describe myself. I've been for the past 10 years geeking out on how groups of people should or could collaborate. And then for the past three, four years, uh, full-time in Web3. The last year I was head of governance at Aragon, helping them to design and launch their DAO and advising them on product design, essentially figuring out how should DAOs exist and operate. And as part of that, started to build a network of people who were thinking very deeply about human collaboration, both across Web2 and Web3 and so on. And eventually that evolved into the, the venture that I'm doing now. So I left Aragon uh, towards the end of last year and started something called R&DAO that stands for R&D DAO. So we do research about DAOs and have multiple teams running research projects on how can we DAO. And we're also incubating a few different toolings or ventures that address some, some gaps in the ecosystem. Uh, also collaboration tooling. So it's a DAO that researches DAOs and build tools for DAOs. Awesome. Incept DAO Inception. I love it. Yeah, and, pretty and much. Eric, <laughs> Aragon was one of the first technology platforms for DAOs. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. They're, they're one of still one of the one of the biggest ones, and they were around since 2017, so very early days. Awesome. So I think authority on DAOs is not overly generous. So I'm gonna leave that label applied to Daniel here. Certainly, someone I look up to in this space. So it's really awesome to have you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. The first half of the podcast, as always, will be the Just Dow It News Report. Uh, and then in the second half, we will interview Daniel. Um, for the news report, uh, we will I'll go over a bunch of down news stories from the last couple of weeks. And for each story, I'll summarize the headline and the story. I'll share my reactions. And then, Daniel, I'll, I'll ask you if you would like to add your thoughts and reactions as well. And we'll try to comment on what makes these stories relevant for DAOs and people starting DAOs. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. First story of the week is from Coindesk. And the headline is, SEC calls nine cryptos securities in insider trading case. The SEC and DOJ brought insider trading charges against three people Thursday, and assertions cryptocurrencies are securities may hold great implications. So, um, you know, I picked out this one. Obviously, it doesn't uh, directly apply to DAOs, but I think a big question on a lot of people's minds who are starting DAOs is this question of securities and how to think about their governance tokens, if there are governance tokens, and how to um, how to follow the rules and regulations or, or what you need to do so that you won't have to follow them. And so I think it's really uh, important to follow the SEC and, and other regulators' activities in this space. Um, you know, to me, there were a couple things that stood out about this article. You know, when I first heard about it on Twitter, I thought, oh, no, SEC is coming for everyone. And then I realized a couple things. One is this SEC action is focused on insider trading. 
at, at with these nine cryptocurrencies. So the only cryptos they called out are ones where people they have evidence that people were doing insider trading. They haven't gone after any other cryptos in this particular action. And so I think that may actually be in some ways a positive signal that they're really just focused on criminal activity and not necessarily casting too broad of a net here, going crazy, going after all kinds of different cryptos. And the other thing is that, frankly, the nine tokens that were listed, I, I had never heard of any of them. Um, and obviously, that, that doesn't mean some of them might not be meaningful or successful, um, but none of these are you know, top 20 or top 40, possibly even top 100 tokens that, that I'm aware of. So in some ways, a little bit uh, concerning whenever we see regulators taking major action um, because we worry that they may come after us or things that we care about. At the same time, maybe this isn't the biggest deal in the world. Um, anything to add, Daniel? Yeah, so uh, for me, there is something that I usually think about related to, to regulation that is about DAO adoption and why, why DAOs. And I use a carrot and stick model to explain it. So in the carrot, we can talk, try to talk about all the nice things about DAOs. And one of the biggest motivators has been more on the stick side of that is if you're trying to create decentralized organization, and do a series of things and issue tokens and so on, the SEC might come after you. So I, I was actually identifying this as one of the main drivers for the exploration on DAOs to happen. And I've been somewhat concerned with the inflow of Web2 entrepreneurs into Web3 that are very quickly being able to raise millions of funding to solve a problem but they're not really doing research. They're not really thinking through it. Uh, they're just kind of copying a lot of what they already know from Web 2 to Web 3, and they end up kind of destroying the possibility of what DAOs could be and end up making just corporations on chain. So these sort of crackdowns or warnings of what happens if you, well, on one side, end up doing something that you really shouldn't, like insider trading, uh, but more generally, these sort of regulatory pressure incentivizes decentralization. And that can actually end up being a positive force in the ecosystem in that it encourages people to really think through how can we make decentralization work uh, instead of shortcutting it and just going for what we did in the past that we know it's sort of functioned, but also has a lot of issues and you know anything new will take time to mature and develop. So it in, in some way, it also gives some time to, to real DAOs, to, to this real exploration to take hold. Uh, so I try to take that as a silver lining when I when I hear news like this. Awesome, love it. All right, next headline is from MetaGov News. This is from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, MetaGov News number five, um, and the story uh, is about an organization called GovBase that has released some research about DAOs. Uh, called the Constitutions of Web Three, and it's a study of DAO constitutions. And I thought this was really interesting because I've been in a number of DAOs where literally we've had the conversation, what do we call this document we're creating? Is it a constitution? Is it a charter? Is it bylaws? It, what is it in the first place? And of course, you go from what is it in the first place to what's going to be in it and how do we write it? And all of that is a lot of work, too. Um, but one of the first things in this uh, research report was actually a pie chart showing the titles of these documents that various DAOs are using. And, and I just thought it was really interesting to see. So the, the number one most popular title was Constitution. 
Number two, I hadn't even thought of, which was Community Covenant, which I think actually is really descriptive and a really good title. And then from there it goes Charter, Manifesto, Code of Conduct, Community Guidelines, Lore, or TLDR. Um, now this research also has really good uh, data on what are the goals of the DAOs, um, what type of, what are their values, um, what are they using in terms of on-chain components, uh, which actually this survey shows Aragon first and then DAO House next for the top two, um, and uh, other information about rights and obligations of the DAO. So um, definitely recommend checking this out. I thought it was really interesting. And they're also looking for more folks to uh, contribute their constitution so that they can learn more about how DAOs are approaching constitutions. And does RNDAO have something like a constitution? And what, what does RNDAO call it? We, we have a series of documents. Uh, so not a single constitution, but we're, we're building it very much piece by piece, um, partially because the idea of RNDAO is to also do these action research. Like we see ourselves a little bit as a canary in the coal mine, as whenever we need to build something, we spend loads of time thinking about it. We try to go at a little bit left field, like try things that would be more divergent and so on compared to a DAO that let's say they, they have a financial product. All they care about is building the financial product. And the DAO is a means to an end to a large degree. For us, the DAO is an end to itself. So we don't just want good answers. We want excellent answers. Um, and so we spend a little bit more time developing each, each piece of how we operate and researching, essentially make everything into a research project. And, and so out of each of these research projects, we end up with another document. And over time, we'll, build, we'll piece these together into what ends up being a, a sort of constitution or charter was usually the, the name we were using internally, but it's not very set in stone yet. Uh, for now, we are just building the pieces. Hmm. Cool. That's awesome. It's a, it's a great endeavor. All right. The next article is from TechCrunch, and the headline is, The D in DAO doesn't stand for democracy, says Upstream CEO Alexander Taub. So I think this one is is interesting because there is a lot of discussion about the D in DAO, which you know normally is uh, decentralization, or sorry, decentralized in a decentralized autonomous organization. And what does that really mean? You know, you can look at it in terms of the underlying technology layer being decentralized, and maybe the DAO itself in terms of how it's organized hierarchically and in terms of social and governance structures. Maybe it doesn't have to be that decentralized. Maybe you can have a CEO and a management team and employees and run it like a traditional company. Or maybe the decentralized in DAO actually means, you know, socially and, and, and in terms of the management structure that the organization is needs to be decentralized. Otherwise, some people wouldn't call it a DAO. And, and I've certainly heard people take both views. Um, what I like especially about this article is just the analysis and discussion about how DAOs are very diverse in this regard. And not every use case is going to be perfect, right? Not every project is going to be perfect for a totally flat organization with no hierarchy. And of course, as we're learning and, and, and based on our values too, not every project is going to be perfect for a top-down organization where a small group of people holds all the power and everything flows from there. Um, so however we end up defining DAO in the long run, I think there will be a spectrum of how decentralized organizations are. Um, and that's something we're all kind kind of uh, trying to figure out together. So one thing Taub says uh, towards the end of the article is, 
If you want it to be a democracy, great. If you want it to be a dictatorship, people shouldn't join your DAO if they're not okay with your dictatorship, <laughs> Tab says. So I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek. He's kind of saying, that's fine. If you want to be a dictatorship, be a dictatorship. And you know, people can decide whether or not to be a part of it. Um, and same with democracy. So any reactions, Daniel? Yeah, I have uh, three comments. One is uh, for me about the language is uh, and this is a rant and I, and it's a lost fight and I have all right I'm struggling to accept it's a lost fight uh, but it still bothers me that we call everything a DAO is like can we call a spade a spade mm. just because if if we are if we cannot agree on the language we cannot communicate and and right now DAO just means anything you do in web3 it doesn't matter what it is and and it's like borderline fake advertising I mean many times is intentionally fake advertising. We already covered the, the whole regulatory concerns here. Uh, so for me, it actually bothers me that you take a concept that is very aspirational to a specific set of values. And we actually done research trying to understand what those values are. And decentralization of power is essentially there. A decentralized, uh, a treasury that's controlled through a decentralized mechanism. This is, these were agreements that we've got over 1,600 votes in this study. And these were the things that kind of like everyone agree upon. So you're taking words that, that have a very uh, kind of agreed meaning in the ecosystem. And because certain things are hard, and I'll come to the, to the second point, you start using them for everything. And this is not about the author or the article or the article uh, per se, but just when you start to kind of like say everything can be a DAO, then it's like, well, then nothing is a DAO. And, we need new words and, and it just kind of makes it harder to communicate. So I would really love if we could be more strict with language, but as I was saying, that's, that's a lost fight. Like that, it's too late, that, that, that boat sailed. So the, the other thing is I, I can agree with the, the premise of experimentation. Like let's try things out. Let's try different mechanisms. Uh, a flatter organization is still an abstract concept. There is a million different ways that can be invented. We're super early days and rightfully this sort of like direct democracy, like all token holders voting on every issue and in a flat DAO without subunits or anything like that is not a very good model. Uh, from many principles of organization design, of system science, we know it's a bad model, uh, yet many DAOs try to use it and are struggling with it, and, and rightfully so, it, like it's natural, they, it, it doesn't really work. And, and when people are trying to build a product or a venture and also run an organization with models that are not particularly functional, it's super challenging. And, and so here we, we're both trying to innovate on the organizational side and trying to innovate on the product side, or at least that's how many companies or many different organizations that call themselves DAOs are trying to do. And it's hard. And because it's hard, you cannot just like blame people and force them to go one way or another. Um, but equally, it's important that we just don't give up and say like, oh, well, this new way, I don't really know how to do it. So I'm just going to build corporations and chain and that's okay. Because we know that model has failed. And the reason people are flocking like crazy to work in DAOs is because corporations suck. And if we continue building these top-down organizations, we are going to reproduce all of those things that we know are really bad in many different ways, like bad because they stifle creativity, because they're not geared for knowledge work, they're not geared for innovation, they increase inequality in the world, they make people miserable, and they make really talented, smart people full of possibilities miserable. And you know what they do? They leave and go somewhere else. So it's kind of like bad for everyone involved. 
uh, but it's the only way we know. So, so sometimes, yeah, people will have to default to that because they're like, well, I have investors, I have customers, I have people that are trying to service, I'm trying to build a community, build a product. I don't know how else to run it. And, and fair enough, make, cut some corners because there is no, no necessarily a better way around it uh, that you have at your disposal. Uh, but let's not forget why we're doing this. And let's not forget that there are better possibilities there. And let's not reduce it, coming to the, the last point quickly, let's not reduce it to people will choose because there is the whole issue is corporations have thrived because people didn't have a choice. And if, especially I come from the developer world and half Colombian, and it's a country where many people don't have a choice. They don't have many options. People work for horrible bosses in horrible conditions, right? Like slavery is still a thing in our world. And there are millions of slaves, not just like 10 slaves in the world. No, there are millions. Like there is more slavery now than any time in history. And there is more humans, like proportionally speaking, we're better off. Uh, but the world is a pretty fucked up place and many people don't have a choice. So we need to give them that choice. And, and I believe that's a fight we need to find. So, you know, without taking it a beef against them or something, I, I think it's important that we remember these things and, and don't just live in our small privilege bubble uh, so often, which, you know, can be a bit sound reactionary or alarmist, but is, I believe we can do a better future if we keep on trying. Uh, and that's ultimately yeah. the message I'm, I'm trying to evangelize. That's awesome. I mean, in, in crypto in general, blockchain in general, the mission is is so massive and meaningful, but it is so hard to not get caught up in the the pattern of life that a lot of us are used to living where it's very comfortable. Right. This is just a great business opportunity. We're doing something fun with technology um, and it's really easy just to get caught in that uh, for a lot of people. Obviously, some people don't have that option, but um, it's a really good reminder of the capacity for change that these technologies and the systems that we're building um, have in them. Yeah, as you're saying, the, the capacity is there. How much change yep. they end up creating is is up to us. And, and, and it's not easy. We have the these ridiculously big vision that we have started with here uh, and that's both for good and for bad for bad because people sometimes give up and be like it's too big i don't know how to do it let me go back or let me do things differently and and it's great because also we're all here because at some point in time at least we were very inspired by this and and if we can hold on to that during the darkest hour uh, we can push the needle a little bit and it's not going to be perfect we're not going to get there tomorrow but given enough time and effort of all of us, we all make a small difference and that, that accumulates, hopefully. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, next article from Decrypt. Uh, the headline is, Snapshot adds shielded voting for DAOs to help solve voter apathy. The voting as a service platform Snapshot is rolling out a new feature that would let DAO members vote on proposals privately. So to me, a couple interesting things here. One is the, the concept of voter apathy. And, you know, in a lot of DAOs, maybe most DAOs, they are fairly democratic. And sometimes, you know, it's one token, one vote. The voting can be, the power can be concentrated, but still it's a, it's a voting-based system. And often you don't have a really uh, high amount of the DAOs members voting. Um, in some very successful DAOs, it can be like 5 to 15% of token holders or reputation holders or whatever it is voting on any one proposal. And I'm not sure that's always 
always a bad thing. I think in a lot of cases, it's okay for either the people with the most knowledge or the people who are most active or who care the most about an issue to be the ones voting on it. And everyone else is there for the situation where there is something that everyone needs to get involved in. Um, but either way, certainly there is something like voter apathy that does exist in the, in the DAO ecosystem, at least I would say. And so um, this does sound like one good idea, if nothing else, if there are situations where trans, uh, non-transparent voting would be valuable because people just don't want each other to know how they voted, then this is a great feature to have. And, and to me, it's not obvious exactly what would characterize a situation that would make people want to do that versus having transparent voting, um, but certainly seems like a good feature. So I don't know, Daniel, do you have a, a, maybe a deeper idea or, or just a, a different idea about when this could be useful or why it could be useful? Yeah, I, I had commented two things about this in the past publicly. And in one, I I have to admit I was wrong and it blew up in my face. And in the other one, I, I still think I, I was there. Uh, the first is about the voter apathy. And I, uh, I'm i inverting the order in this. I, I still think there is a point there. It's like, except in very particular cases where it's a very contentious vote, um, this I, I really don't think this is going to have any impact in voter apathy because a lot of voter apathy is more coming from an economic equation that doesn't make sense. Is like, if I'm a rational agent, I need to get more value out of voting than the cost it takes me to vote. And the cost of voting is really high because I need loads of time to go and search the information, participate in the community, understand the issue, and then figure out the decision and vote. Actually, the, the voting part, it's a tiny fraction of the cost, time, energy, resources, cost of being able to, to vote. Uh, and that's why most people don't vote is because if I only hold a handful of tokens by participating in this decision, what those tokens are going to appreciate a little bit more. Maybe I'm going to be able to embed my values a little bit more, but it's very marginal compared to the amount of time and energy I need to spend voting. Uh, and quite often I can free ride. Like there is other people who are going to vote and I hope that they're going to make that good enough decision. So I'm just going to let it do it. And this has nothing to do with uh, how people perceive that I'm voting, because in most cases, the vote is not that contentious. Um, now, I used to think that it could even be detrimental to some degree to, to include these uh, anonymity, because if you have, it, it kind of reduces a little bit the, the necessity to have hard conversations. And DAOs being online with a population of like developers and a bunch of technologies who are not necessarily the people with the highest emotional intelligence or the highest human communication skills. And the and, and even even in populations where people have really high emotional intelligence and really high communication skills. Collaborating is hard and you end up in disagreements and, and saying someone, I think your idea is bad, dude, or it's a difficult thing to do and egos get in the way, right? And, and so I used to think that if you allow the anonymity, you reduce the incentive for people to have to, to stand, up, stand up to it and say, this is why I think it's good or is bad. And instead of that, you can kind of swipe things under the rug and not do the hard thing. And it's just going to come to the vote and I'm going to vote you down. So your proposal fails, but I'm never going to tell you the feedback uh, because that, that puts, puts some interpersonal risk. And, and so I was actually against 
the the anonymity for a while. And, and in the RDAO, the way we were building it, it was very transparent. And we were doing some operational governance directly in our comms platform and so on. Uh, and I was very, very proud of the, the safety and transparency that we were doing. And then uh, recently came a point where we had a very contentious issue and we had a big disagreement about it. And at the interpersonal level, we were still super comfortable. It's like, I really respect you. I really value. I care for you. And I really disagree with what you're doing. And between me and because I was involved in this issue, actually, it was me, me and a colleague um, we were very much okay with giving each other like very blunt feedback. But then we had the broader community, the other people around it, who also had an opinion on these. Uh, and so we ended up running a couple of workshops to try to work through it and put the pros and the cons and, and see if we, if we could align instead of just voting one way or another. Because again, we're trying to learn from these and, and find a, an excellent solution and not just good solutions. That's part of what we do and part of the value that then we provide to the ecosystem is is getting those hard earned learnings and be able to share it with other people. And, and the, the situation that we ended up putting everyone else was to be a referee in between the two of us, um, which wasn't ideal. Like ideally, it would be only about the idea, uh, but it, it, it was such a complex issue that we kind of needed in the workshop to advocate and multiple people were participating and so on. And, and I think some of the other community members were feeling quite uncomfortable in that in some cognitive level, it still felt like I need to say whether I think you or you, I like you more and I don't like you as an individual and not just the idea. And even though in theory, you could create more systems and tools and ways to refine these. And we have a really strong community with loads of trust and so on. Uh, I still think that in that situation, it would have been great to have anonymous voting so that other people could change their opinion and their vote without necessarily having to declare it because they were feeling very uncomfortable. And, and yes, we could invest more in their personal development and increase the trust, and that would be better long-term for the community. But again, kind of these situations, sometimes you need to take shortcuts because it came to the point that even for us, we were spending almost too long in this issue and there were many other things we needed to do. And... Right, like sometimes you need to take a shortcut, and and this was like the one occasion where I was like, I wish we had that option. So it worries me that we apply it wholesale, uh, be, especially in situations where you should be aiming for safety and trust. But then in situations where there is no safety and trust, you might want to have it. And democratic processes like large scale governance is one situation where there is a bunch of strangers and you. You shouldn't trust a massive crowd of strangers. Unfortunately, the world is not that safe. Uh, the issue is if we design for an unsafe world to make the individual safety, we continue creating an unsafe world. And if we design for a safe world, we expose the individuals to danger, but we create systems that over time improve the overall safety. So it's a bit of an, a paradox. And I, I don't have a good solution for it is more like, let's try to find a middle way and improve the safety of the world and protect the individuals and find some trade-offs here that we can continue moving forward and improve on both sides. But it's really tricky. That's really interesting. You know, it reminds me of a conversation I was having on a prior episode with Lisa Walken and Sarah Sonnenfeld from Talent Dow, And we mm. were talking about how, you know, just like with traditional businesses, you can't just 
put a process or a system in place and then let it run and expect it to work. As leaders of an organization, including a DAO, and maybe there's more leaders than there are in a traditional organization, we need to be agile and think on our feet in terms of what's the best solution or the best process or the best system for any given situation. And sometimes maybe we lean more towards safety and comfort for individuals, you know, not feeling too challenged, not wanting to feel too challenged. And then on the flip side, sometimes the safety to challenge others and safety in uh, being able to criticize others and 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 be more uh, have more of a, an active debate with others in the DAO. Um, so I think uh, it's a bit of a paradox, and that's why we need agile leadership in our DAOs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I learned a lot of, from about this from my my partner, who's a relationship coach, and she works a lot with like sacred femininity and stuff like that and and at some point we were having a conversation about what's the difference if if a group of men and a group of women design a system is it really going to be different and i was thinking it wasn't that different i was like come on it's just humans at the end and she was like you know what the big the really intrinsic difference other than the cultural conditioning is cycles like women are just more attuned to cycles than men we're more constant we feel the same women changes they at some points they're more emotional less emotional they have more capacity to deal with bullshit less capacity to deal with it and that's just like biologically wired into them so when when i kind of started to take into that is like a lot of the systems and in web3 we are predominantly male population and so on like a lot of the systems we're designing we're designing it with these assumption and we're not conscious about it, because again, it's, it's, it's so embedded that we never see it staring in our face, but we're designing with the assumption that everyone is the same and that things are constant. And real life is not constant. People sometimes are having a good day, sometimes a bad day. Even a community that you have really worked to build something, sometimes it's going to be too much and you need to take it more easy. And that sort of flexibility and relativity and the ability to, to change between them is not something that we are that we're very good at uh, and we need to become a lot better in in terms of the how we design the tools how we think about culture how we think about leadership like really across the spectrum yep very interesting all right the last article we will cover today is from TechCrunch. we'll do it briefly the headline is you can prepare yourselves for this get ready for a lot of dead DAOs. <laughs> After a, lengthy, after a lengthy crypto bull run, the startups and projects in the space are reigning in expectations and settling in for a long-haul crypto winter. Okay, well, you know, to me, the one reaction I have to this is, like, people like to say that 9 out of 10 startups fail, and that doesn't stop anyone from starting startups. I think DAOs are basically startups until they achieve some kind of scale and sustainability. And whether eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 fail, a lot of them are gonna fail, especially in a downturn and that's okay. But that's that's not at all a reason to shy away from starting a DAO or joining a DAO. W would you agree, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the the ecosystem is gonna feel a little bit different, but the the good, the, the, the good systems, the good products, the good DAOs, the good communities are going to stay around and some are going to experience hardship. Uh, some are going to fail. Some are going to succeed. And yep, awesome. All right. Let's turn to the featured guest interview. So um, we've already talked a lot about a lot of really interesting things, um, but let's take a step back. And uh, Daniel, would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into Web3 and DAOs? 
Uh, yeah, sure. So I let me share uh, another part of it that I that I talk about sometimes, but not that much recently. Is that I I started as a chef uh, because I was very interested in creativity. I was in between law and cooking, and there were kind of like two sides of my brain and creativity, molecular cuisine, like science and technology and culture and aesthetics and something that was kind of essential. Food, the food world just seemed really amazing, and and so I ended up going there, but. What I ended up discovering is that I became a, a glorified assembly line worker com with other people. And, and I was very lucky in that I get to work in free Michelin star restaurants. I work in at least three restaurants that at the time were ranked among the 50 best of the world. And, and in every one of these places, I went there because I had seen some of the creations they had made and I felt really inspired by, by what they were doing. And so there was usually these head chef, the, the founder, who was a creative genius, and I was inspired by this person, and I wanted to learn from them. And that's why I went to work there, because trust me, the pay was not the reason. Uh, and, and whenever I, was, I joined these places, what I ended up encountering is that these really creative people were no longer very creative. They were mostly very stressed. And, and so that ended up taking, taking me to move to research and development, and I joined an experimental kitchen and that was like the big shift where I started thinking about how groups of people collaborate, how they can be creative. And already what I was seeing in, in those possibilities in, is, is very much the, what I'm doing now. Like that, in a way, I'm still trying to recreate that experimental kitchen. Awesome. 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 Um, what a great journey. Um, so you talked earlier a little bit about the projects that you, you've worked on Aragon, you're now working on RNDAO. Um, uh, what are some of the growing pains that you observed in the early days of Aragon or in RNDAO and how did you address those challenges? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the first things is that there is so, so many fronts to, to pick up. And, and there is no real good solution for that. You just kind of have to deal with the fact that you're building the plane as you're trying to fly it. But at the, at the super early stages of, of Arendau, um, and it was an, an idea that I had been sort of cultivating for a while. I had discussed it with a couple of people, but, but it was still, to some degree, it was my idea. And, but I didn't want to, to make a thing that was my thing. I wanted to create a DAO. And, and the trickiest part is how do you do that? Because a lot of people will be, well, to, to make this DAO thing that has a product or a service and is viable in the market and so on, I'm going to have to raise some investment and I'm going to have to build a thing that is making money or at least is building a thing that justifies the investment. And, and that way I have the resources to build the organization. So let me go in a progressive decentralization path. But if you do that, the, you end up building this organization in the early stages, you end up building it with a logic of top-down sort of centralized control, where is my idea and I bring other people that enable me to execute that idea. And even the psychological contract, like the relationships I have with these people is that they're helping me build my thing and that's different than them building their thing. And then you don't develop, as an organization, you don't develop skills like what happens when you disagree with all your other people and you cannot just say, I'm the boss and it's my DAO and my organization and I'm going to tell you how it is. Uh, this is what we do. 
So how do you even deal with that in a productive way? And, and, and learning how to do that is really hard. So the alternative is, can you do it in the early stages and learn those lessons in the early stages, which will serve you along the way, uh, but it's kind of like go slow to go far in that direction as opposed to the other path that is go fast, but you're going to hit a dead end in that you will have built all of these culture, relationships, systems, processes for a top-down organization that then you kind of need to reinvent and dismantle. And so you're postponing the problem. And there is no way around it. Like there are pros and cons on both approach, on, on one approach or the other. Uh, what we're trying to, to now do for the projects that we incubate, because you know, in a way we're in a venture builder, is to all of those learnings that we had, we can pass them directly to, to these projects that build their product and their organization with us. So they can focus on the product and we already and we focus on building their organization together with them. So we kind of like fast track them through a more decentralization first approach or at least more decentralization friendly approach without being too radical about it, but essentially trying to, to make it more practical for the long way. But when you're starting on your own in the wild, alone in the ecosystem, is super challenging. And I think the one of the most important questions is to ask oneself is, what are our strengths? What are we really good at? Let's double down on those. And where we have weaknesses, either we postpone that and you ask, can I postpone it? Like, I don't know, can I make a good financially disciplined DAO? If I don't have that, maybe let me try to find someone who can help me do that or compliance or, you know, the management leadership, the way you run your organization is one side. Uh, there is also the whole product side and all different uh, skills that are needed for uh, an organization to work really well. And, and so that kind of like introspection and organizational introspection and realizing where we are and being very mindful and deliberate about it is the biggest challenge. But also, if you can do it, one of the biggest success factors. Uh, knowing your strengths, simple as that, right? But in but in practice, really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is really hard, and it's just so different from the world that we all. I, I, maybe I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us have gotten used to. I mean, you know, traditional entrepreneurship and organization building that I'm familiar with. You know, it's usually one or a few people start out with a vision, and then you put a lot of work into well, how can we achieve this this vision with you know, leveraging others along the way versus how can we quickly decentralize decision-making, but not, and as a result, not necessarily follow that vision, right? Or at least do it differently. At least I imagine that's what scares a lot of DAO founders is, you know, as soon as you decentralize, it matters a lot less what your vision is and, and matters more what others' visions might become. Yeah, I need, and, and you know, and, and he's scary. Uh, but here is the other here is the other thing is on how you communicate to to get contributors and to get other people to join and to participate in it. If what you're communicating to these people and to everyone is your top level vision of like this DAO is about X Y Z, people are gonna come in wanting to those who feel attracted they're gonna come in wanting to participate in that conversation. Uh, so if you're telling everyone, this is my big vision, be prepared to have loads of conversations about your big vision. And if you're willing to adapt it, then you can use those conversations and it's going to be great. If you're set on that, you don't want to be attracting people with that because that's a given. That, that's, what, that's what I'm going to tell you how it is. Uh, another approach, which is more traditional and it has some disadvantages, but again, we're talking about trade-offs. If, if this is the best you can do, 
Um, the other approach is, like, let's say you want to build a restaurant and you want to hire someone because it's a common example that everyone can relate to. Let, and you want to get someone that's going to make the coffee. Well, if you hire, if you if you engage this person talking about what should be the theme of the restaurant, you're going to end up with a lot of conversations about it. And if you disagree with them, they're not going to be very happy. But if you engage with them of like, how can we create, how can we serve the most amazing coffee? And and it's kind of like having that that realization that is not if it's not all about the big vision. Like let's let's forget about the the founder cults. And let's realize that an organization requires not one vision, but many visions about many parts of it. Like every piece of it requires its own vision and every piece of it can be extraordinary and can be innovative and can be like something that no one's ever seen before. And if you can hire, find that guy who's so passionate about reinventing coffee and bringing their vision of how coffee can be this amazing thing, maybe that's the thing that this restaurant is going to become famous for. It's not the, it's not the Italian or French cuisine or whatever. It's not the way the, the thing is marketed. Is that that place has extraordinary coffee. And, and, and that was for me the learning of the, the free Michelin star world is that it's so competitive and the bar is so high, so extremely high that you compete on every single detail being extraordinary. Like the, the, the crockery, your plate needs to be an extraordinary plate on its own right. Like it could be on a shelf compared to a thousand other plates and you'll be like, wow, you would remark the plate. How often do you think about the plate? Your, fun, your spoon should be the same thing. Your, your coffee should be the same thing. Your wine should be a thing. Every one of the courses should be its own thing. And that's many different visions. And the same thing in an organization. Can your marketing department be revolutionary and extraordinary and can your finance department have that or can the the way you run devops be like extraordinary and something that inspires other people and gives something to talk about your organization um and it's when you kind of like create that space so you create those pockets for everyone around you to feel inspired to experiment and to play and that's completely the difference of we're going to create processes that are streamlined and that creates inefficiencies that are a feature, not a bug, because it's from that experimentation and that research and trying things a little bit that you can end up over time creating something that is extraordinary across the board. Uh, and again, that's how some of the, well, at least in the restaurant world, some of the best restaurants in the world operated. And there is many other examples across other industries. I could talk about dance, I could talk about consultancy, I could talk, you know, other the other industries I experienced throughout my career. I wasn't a dancer, but I had friends who were <laughs> architects and so on. Uh, and is on this empowering, enabling logic of giving people the possibility to to be curious and to express their talents and so on, and not just copy paste because they're a cog in a machine that is meant to serve one single vision. And, and if we can spread this logic, even if we have had to make some trade-offs around it, then not everyone has the time or the capacity or the skill or the, the ability to facilitate a conversation with their whole community around their whole vision every day, uh, you can still do all of these other things and that's better than not. And, and over time it's gonna serve you better, but it's learning that muscle, learning how to onboard and recruit and attract people for that and, and give them the tools and resources so, they, so it doesn't happen like it happened to me in my early career that we had ideas for a dish, but we could only produce crap because we didn't know how to translate good ideas into good products. We only knew how to translate good ideas into mediocre products. No one had taught us. Uh, so that's developing that muscle and that capability from the beginning.
Yep. Awesome. That's great advice. A um, couple quick lightning round questions, and then we will turn to our conclusion. Um, do you have a favorite tool you'd like to uh, suggest that people check out for running DAOs? And do you have a favorite DAO or two other than your own that you would recommend people check out? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to suggest a tool uh, in the hope that I, I don't know when this episode is uh, going live, but in the hope that is probably in a, let's say in two, three weeks from now, uh, or at least. It'll be a week, next week. All right. So maybe once you listen to this, check out the tool, but know that it won't be quite great yet, that we're okay. preparing something with it. And it's a, it's a product that we are incubating that's called Meet with Wallet. And Meet with Wallet is a scheduling tool. And actually today I had the, the indulgence to geek out on trying to figure out what are all the different or at least the most common ways in which people try to schedule things as a group. Because I don't know about you, but I every single day I'm spending, I don't know how, how much time scheduling group calls and trying to coordinate to attend that meeting with this other group and that other one. And everyone is part of free for organizations, especially in DAOs. And everyone has free for calendars. And it's a nightmare. Like I, I get really exhausted just trying to coordinate time, which is our most valuable thing at the end. So we're now working on what's hopefully a killer use case on how to how to have what I call lightning meetings, which is you, me, a couple other people, we need to join this meeting, click, 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 and the meeting is in our calendar, the next available slot. And we didn't have to go and open our calendar and figure out all the empty slots and figure out all the exceptions and then come back and say, oh, we agree on this time and book it and so on. And it's, you know, it's basic efficiency, but it's making everyone's life a lot easier to have these fluid groups, hopefully. So uh, really encourage everyone to check it out. Then in terms of DAOs that I, I really love, I, I've always been a big fan of the token engineering commons and common stack of some of the, the work that those folks are doing in, uh, in researching new primitives for token engineering for like smart contracts. And I'm also, uh, I also find, uh, metagame very, very endearing. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a weird place is it has multiple issues it has multiple amazing things, uh, but it's kind of like its own world that is trying to live very web free sometimes to, to their detriment. Sometimes it hasn't been very clear what it is that the DAO does, uh, but it's this really, really fantastic exploration. And there is such a density of learnings in that community that I think many DAOs could benefit from taking a leaflet or two of what they have spend a lot of time learning the hard way. And, you know, I hope there is, they stay around for many years, but if not, I'm sure some of those lessons will live on. Awesome. Great recommendations. Thank you so much. All right, Daniel, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, where can people find you and your project on the web and on social? Sure. So for, um, for the project is at rndao underscore underscore on, on Twitter. And you can follow us there. We're sharing a lot of the a lot of the research, a lot of the learnings, and a lot of the new things that we're developing. They they all get through that channel. We also invite loads of experts from different domains of web two academics, uh, self management people, and so on. We're really trying to create a really high knowledge density about how to organize humans and how to collaborate in a humane way. Uh, so I really recommend following 
that as a resource. And for myself, you can also follow me on Twitter and at underscore Daniel underscore Ospina. Uh, and you'll see some of the, the things that I'm sharing that are often quite related to that. And yeah, that's probably the best. That you, from there, you will find our YouTube channel and some, and or, or well, I guess our Mirror blog, which is arendal.mirror.xyz. And there you can also find some of the essays and research summaries and so on that we are putting out there. Awesome. And I'll put links in the show notes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. You can find MyDAO at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. Um, please, if you enjoyed the show, consider liking us or leaving a review or comments. Send me questions. We should ask future guests. Uh, Daniel, again, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Now, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to come and have a great chat. Absolutely. And to the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just DAO it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just DAO it does not contain any legal or financial advice. My DAO also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.